0: One of the best things for Christians is we have a book, the Bible, and it has flex in it. Now, not every religious tradition does. Um, one of the challenges for Islam is that the Muslims believe the Quran was re- revealed to Muhammad through the archangel Gabriel about 600 years after Jesus' death. It took about 23 years of patches to write it down, but it's fixed at that moment in time. So if you go into a mosque, you will take off anywhere around the world, you will take off your shoes. Women will wear headscarves. It's not up for debate. There's no flex in it. Um, If you're praying, you're going to face Mecca. You're going to try and find out where Mecca is because that's how it's written, and the deal is you take that. There's no flex. In contrast, the Bible we love is written over thousands of years. And in it, you could use written by God using lots of different authors. And you can see it flex. You can see the Jews when they're in charge of the promised land and how wonderful it is. And then you can see them struggling. How do we deal when we're in exile? You can see the new early church struggling as it deals with different cultures. What do we do? What don't we do? You can see them contextualizing culture and deciding how do we deal with this. So in Acts chapter 15, in Romans chapter 14, which you have in front of you, in uh, the whole book of Galatians. They're just, how does this work? And so, just as a classic example, in 1 Corinthians, which I haven't given you, 1 Corinthians 13, it says, Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Well, I put it to you that we have judged for ourselves and decided, yep, it's fine. Yep. There's flex in the Bible. It's designed so that uh, which is really helpful when you cross cultures, because if you're going to cross cultures, there's going to be flex. And good missionaries have to learn. In fact, remember, disciple means learner. You have to learn, how am I going to deal with this? So I was thinking, how do we deal with this? What we're going to do is, I'm going to tell you a kid's story. It's been modified. Um, it's, uh, um, and then... Talk just a tiny bit. We're going to read a little bit of Romans fourteen, and then we're going to have communion together. That's what we're doing, and then we're going to have a time of singing. This is today's service. What I'd like you to be thinking about is flex, learning, dealing with people who are different to you. It's a constant thing in church. It's a constant thing in whenever cultures get together. But um. And when Paul writes about this, one of the famous verses he talks about, so in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or, and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He's acknowledging difference, but saying this isn't meant to separate you. There's oneness found in Christ. So... I'm going to read you a children's story. Sound all right? Hopefully some of you will be familiar with the background of this. With apologies to Dr. Seuss, it has been modified. Okay, and comes out of Romans chapter 14. <clears throat> now, things were not all well in the church of the Romans, and Paul had heard rumour of bad-sounding omens, so he wrote them a letter to the sneechers of Rome, for he had a few well-put-together thoughts to drive home. There were star-bellied snitches who had bellies with stars. There were plain-bellied snitches who had none upon dars. Now, the stars had a book that was chock-full of jewels, though you have to admit there were quite a lot of rules. Don't touch, don't eat, on the Sabbath don't work. There were rules upon rules, enough to make you berserk. Of the commandments, it turned out there were a lot more than ten. And there's no trouble in that. You would think only when they got together, With the snatches, with none upon theirs, it was as if some were from Venus and other from Mars. The star snitches wouldn't eat meat from the shops, for you didn't know where it had been. It might have been used to foretell the future, and clearly it couldn't be clean. Sorry, I lost my place. Clearly it couldn't be clean. So one wouldn't eat meat from the markets. As I said, they figured, clearly it was a vice. There was no telling or smelling, discerning or learning to what god it might have been sacrificed. And the others, the ones with no stars upon theirs, they didn't find themselves so inhibited. They'd buy it and roast it and eat it with glee. They didn't think meat was prohibited. And many were slaves at the bottom of the pile. They spoke with a subservient voice, and at dinner time, when their master dished up the slops, it wasn't likely they had much of a choice. But foods just a thing, it's, it's really quite small, you would think it wouldn't matter at all, so the stars with their moral code gave the star-lacking ones uh, quite a heavy, heavy load, and the stars met on Saturday and called it the Sabbath, and the starless ones were working, which provoked the stars' wrath, and as is often the case, it wasn't just one way, but fights over the rules have led many astray, and what were they to do, these battling snitches with stars and without working on Roman beaches?' Well, it's really quite simple an interstage left. A man with a mission who, if they listen, will leave them all bereft. My friends, he announced with a voice clear and keen, my name is Sylvester McMonkey McBean. And I've heard of your troubles and I've heard you're unhappy and I can fix that because I'm the fix-it-up chappy. I've come here to help you. I have what you need. My prices are low and I work with great speed and my work is 100% guaranteed. And then quickly, Sylvester McMonkey McBean put together a very peculiar machine. And he said... The problem, of course, is you each know that you are right. And so you are, he said, and so you fight. And the simple solution, it's really quite clean, is to make everyone else go through my special machine. It will change them. It will pressure them and make them like you. After all, you're the only one here who knows what is true. It's like when you get married and the bride's idol whim is the order of service. I'll alter him. So throw someone inside the, and the big machine roars, it blonks and it clonks, it jerks and it burks, it bops them about and the thing really works. And if plain bellied snitches pop out, they have stars. They really do, they have stars upon theirs. Why, this is the answer, they all said with glee. If only we could make everyone like me. Only which me. And then Sylvester McMonkey McBean began to intone, God made a mistake to make us all different, he'd really rather we were all clones. Religion is a machine to set us free, make you like me. The only problem is to decide which me we should be. And can you imagine the battle that ensued with everyone determined that everyone else should change? It really was mad. The arguments, the clashes, the backbiting. It was quite bad. We shall fight each other on the seas. We shall fight each other on the beaches. And Paul wrote a letter to these Roman snitches. And in chapter 14, he writes, It's a matter of grace, except even the weak don't deny them your embrace. One sneech thinks meat is wrong. Yes, he's a vegetarian. Another eats it all. He's more food egalitarian. This is no excuse for judging each other not in God's court. So listen up, you'd all better be careful of words like should and ought. So who died and made you God's supreme court judge? I don't think God made you the font of all knowledge and what made you think it was all about you that you have the monopoly on what is true for we don't live to ourselves alone and god never intended anybody to be anybody's clone that's not why christ came and died that's not the reason he allowed himself to be crucified you don't know it all you know it all snakes and yes you and me are prone to making mistakes We'll all be judged by a God who is much greater than any of us when we try being a dictator. Our job is not to pass judgment and add additional rules, and when we do, well, we're just fools. Turns out the truth is, I'm pleased to announce, that there's more than a little element of nuance. Paul says nothing of itself is unclean, even cauliflower and broccoli and red kidney beans. But Paul says, it's not just about you as the great truth seeker. He wants us to consider our brother and our sisters who are weaker. Food, he says, isn't something worth causing someone to stumble. So get over ourselves and learn to be humble. Accept one another. Not one of us is truly clean. And don't you dare not ever force someone else through this machine. This isn't the way that our great God above brings change. It's not pressure from outside, but love from within that is how God seeks to rearrange. And you and I are works in progress, and we need to hear the voice from our old grandfather, Sneech, "Elad, hey all folk are queer. Paul's prescription for us is not the rules police, but that each of us works to do what leads to peace. And that's the Sneech's story. And it takes no engineer to know that our story is about how we live right here. And just in case this rhyming has made this too mysterious, let's put rhymes aside and get a little serious. We fight about our differences, but they're a gift. And we don't tend to notice, we take things for granted about how things should be. And it's not that anything goes. But when Paul writes, you can see in... Romans 14, he's trying not to say, yes, you can do this, or no, you can do that. He's trying to say, look, there's more than that. Consider your relationships together. And so when we're talking about mission, there's always that, how do you deal with difference? Is it possible they have something you don't? And a learning, not just about their culture, but also about ours. And what kind of things do we fight about? Well, in church, we fight about doctrine sometimes, theology, ideology. Sometimes it's cultural habits, smoking or drinking. Sexuality. Churches love to fight about sexuality. It's kind of ironic. The first followers of Jesus were known for being, le- for being learners. That's why they were called disciples, right? And in today's world, when people think of churches, do they think that we're learners? Or do they think we're closed-minded? Somehow or another, we've lost this. We fight because we think we're right. So I wanted to briefly give you an example. I think I'll have to click before it starts. Um, If you jumped in a plane and visited a bunch of churches in worship, have a look at these. See if you like them. I've asked the question underneath, is it right, which is cheeky because I don't think it's the right question. But just reflect on these different kinds of worship. I'm betting that everyone here had something that they thought I'd like to go to that, and had a few where were, yinna, yeah, not for me. As it should be, because we live in culture and are culture, but it is different. So, I just want to read this out loud. If you've got the message version next to you, there's a bunch of versions around. Welcome with open arms, fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. I'm reading from the message because he's very using very contemporary language, and it kind of makes sense for this. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with, even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. For instance, a person who's been around for a while might be well convinced he can eat anything on the table, while another from a different background may, might assume that all Christians should be vegetarians and eat accordingly. But since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell to criticising what the other ate or didn't eat? Make sense? God, after all, invited them both to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? If there are connections to be made or matters to be learned, God can handle that without your help. Is that not up there? Sorry? Corrections. If there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, thank you. Bad reading from me. Jump forward a little bit. God's kingdom isn't a matter of what you put into your stomach, for goodness sakes. It's what God does with your life as he sets it right and puts it together and completes it with joy. Your task is to single-mindedly serve Christ. Do that and you'll kill two birds with one stone, pleasing the God above you sorry, and proving your worth to people around you. So let's agree to use all our energy in getting along with each other Help others with encouraging words. Don't drag themselves down by finding fault. You weren't finding fault. You were helpfully correcting. <laughs> actually, that's really good. Um, because if you hadn't corrected me, I wouldn't have got it right. But I actually have to be okay with that. You have to have enough relationship together, which is a picture of church. And that's how the snitches get it wrong. If we go for the manual, we lose it. And, and look, it happens all the time. I've been a minister for a while. Um, I've got a few stories of how it's gone wrong. Quite a lot, in fact. And in fact, often, uh, we're going to lead to communion. Communion's a classic for this. Um, particularly because different traditions, you know, Anglicans and Catholics have this thing with transubstantiation, which means that at this moment in time, the bread and wine become the actual body and blood of Jesus. And that has huge implications. It means that uh, priests... Have to finish off any wine that isn't drunk. Which, if you're a rural priest and you're doing seven, uh, five services in a day and driving between them, you have a problem. <laughs> um, and I've sat and listened to priests have impassioned discussions about whether it should be red or white wine. It does seem to depend on what district they come from. And I, I love the story of the Catholic priest who went to a rural background place and was shocked to find that the loaf of bread for taking communion was raisin bread. It's just that is just so wrong. So he held in the appropriate part of the service. He held it up to heaven and he said, "This." And Jesus said, "This, apart from the raisins, is my body." <laughs> there are uh, look. There's lots of stories about how communion. Uh, embodies culture. In the church I was in, in in Bacargle, the story was told, they used to have the elders set up on these special chairs. Did we have a, those special chairs? You know, for the elders? We did? Yep. And they were the ones who took communion and one day, one of the elders wasn't wearing a tie and someone at the back of the church took off his tie and stormed up to him and gave him a tie to put on. <laughs> But that wasn't the best one. I still don't... I'm glad this hasn't happened. The famous one from Invercargill is that a youth group came in on a Saturday night, was playing games, and they saw the communion had been made out and set out early. And some wag there, I still can't believe they did it, thought, oh, let's have a bit of fun. So they put gelatine in the communion. (laughs) (laughs) That really wasn't appropriate, but you're trying to get the... Yep, Okay. One of the reasons that people do it differently is we know that when Jesus took bread and wine, he dealt with the things that common people used. So does that mean in China you should have rice, wine, and rice? In New Zealand, I was in a pub once where a bunch of us um, we, that put on communion with beer and meat pies. Um, Easter camp's done a bunch of Coke and um, I don't remember what they use for hamburger buns, I think. Coke and chips. Coke and chips. Our versions of communion are really unhealthy, are you? <laughs> have you noticed? But remember, the one who eats must not treat contempt someone who does not. This is from Romans 14.3. and must, we, We're not supposed to judge each other. He's not writing about communion, but there is this thing. Actually, and I come back to, I'm pretty committed to us being learners. And sometimes that's your try stuff. Yep, you try stuff that is different to your norm.
1: ...that lie in latitudes either side of the equator are well known for producing coconuts. The biggest producers are, in fact, Indonesia, followed by the Philippines, but India, Sri Lanka, Brazil, and even Florida, would you believe, are also commercial producers. We use the coconut as a symbol of the sacrament of communion in our nation's course for which Wendy and I are again leading this year in Thailand. In fact, we leave for Chiang Mai in less than four weeks and we'll say more about course preparation again on Sunday the 8th of June. We particularly use the coconut to teach missionaries because for Christian congregations who are not familiar with bread and wine, the coconut has much more meaning. The coconut is fundamental to life in the Pacific Islands and through that area. The coconut can be found on almost every island. It is versatile and ubiquitous. In fact, every part of the tree is used... Briefly, the trunk is used for timber and firewood. Uh, every, um, the leaves are used for mats, fishing nets, and starting fires. The husk is used for making ropes. The shell as a drinking vessel. The fruit itself for cooking. And the juice as a healthy tonic. The coconut has been used widely in Pacific nations in three ways to help in an understanding of God. Number one, the life cycle of the coconut, the fact that it falls to the ground and is discarded and dies, then eventually grows into a tree, into new life, to produce fruit that satisfies the people's hunger and thirst,